Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 16. Episode 34. This is Writing Excuses. Novels are layer cakes. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Dong Wan. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dan. And I'm Howard. Okay, so... We're talking about novels as layer cakes, which may initially sound a little confusing, but this is one of the central metaphors I think about when I think about what makes a novel a novel that's distinct from a short story or novella or novelette. And the thing about a novel is it requires more complexity because you're sustaining a narrative over so long, there need to be so many more different aspects going. So you want layers to be present at almost every point and especially in an opening scene. And you know, I'm not just talking about like two layers of a birthday cake. Ideally, you want like a meal foy, one of those crepe cakes that's like layer after layer after layer that gives you that kind of information density and that kind of character and world building and all those elements. We've talked about individual pieces of how to do that so far, but this is really how do you weave all of that into one coherent whole while still maintaining the distinction of that lamination? We're turning into the Great British Bake Off here. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay. I got to tell you, when I think of layer cakes, um, I Sandra makes cakes from time to time, and you know, you you take the cake pan and you you know you make a bunch of different layers and you saw the tops off of them to to make them stack flat. Um, and then I think of the episode of British Baking Show where they were trying to make dobosh torts with bazillions of little layers, and I look at that and think. No, I'm sorry. That has to be done by a machine and a computer. That is not possible for a human being to make that cake. And I know there are many people who look at the way novels are constructed and who step back and see all of that layering and all of that construction and have that same reaction. I'm sorry. That had to be done by a computer and a machine. No human being can hold all that in their head. Yeah. And when we were talking about Tell Don't Show, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but, you know, I think this is a case where thinking about movies and TV and and visual media is really useful to, to think about how to layer stuff. Because when you are looking at an image, you're absorbing all this different kind of information. You're absorbing world building, you're absorbing character, you're absorbing some of the thematic elements, right? If it's if the scene is lit in a menacing way, it's like, okay, we're in a thriller. If, you know, the, the, they're wearing Regency dresses where we know the time period and we know the class of the person that we're looking at. If, you know, the, the background behind them is an office, then we know what kind of story we're in. So there's automatically many, many more layers in a single shot of film than there is in a, a book by, by, uh, as a default. So what you need to think about is how do I start working all that other information that I would get if this were a movie into the text? 
And, you know, you have a laser light control over the focus of the reader. So you can show us bit by bit. The downside is you have to do that deliberately. You can't just rely on us passively absorbing that information. And a lot of this will come down to uh, word choice, specificity. Um, I mean, all of the different things that we've been talking about for the past several weeks, you're, you're trying to manipulate all of those at the same time. It's what is the character noticing what order do you feed that information to the reader? Which pieces are you telling versus which pieces are you showing? Is this sentence a long sentence or a short sentence? What is my word choice here? Am I going to say pulled out of a chair or jerked out of a chair? Because those are two different things. This is um, <laughs> this is complicated. I will I will disagree slightly with Dong Wan because this is also something that you do with short stories, and in many cases it is more vital because you have less space. But I understand. But the um, but the layers of plot that you have to deal with in a short story are not as many as you you have to deal with in a novel. And and this is for me one of the biggest differences uh, and 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 the thing to think about, um, regardless in some ways, if, if you're writing short story or novel, that first page is framing the thing that you're getting into. And in a short story, you're, you're framing a small thing and it's like, this is the emotional punch you're going to get. But in a novel, you're framing something that has multiple different emotional punches that you're going to get. You're going to have multiple plot threads. And how do you tell the reader kind of which of those is the thing that, uh, like, which one do you introduce as, here, this is the thing I'm drawing a line under. This is the story that you're going to be, you're going to be in on because you have to make that choice. Is this a coming of age? Yes. Is this also an epic adventure? Yes. Where, where do you start? Yeah. Am I going to say, actually, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with Mary Robinette. When I, when I say that a short story has fewer layers, I purely mean in terms of character arcs and plot lines. When that information density, I don't care what you're writing, you're going to need to make sure each word, each sentence is doing as much work as it can while maintaining crystal clarity for the reader. Yeah. I, I want to emphasize uh, the importance of revision yes. for this. Because like Howard was talking about, if you're making a layer cake, most of the time you're making several different cakes in several different batches and then combining them together later on. And I'm, I don't think that you have to do that with writing. Uh, I'm not going to say that you can't because I'm sure there are people who do. Uh, but what I do do is I will write out, you know, the first draft is often just focused entirely on plot or on character. And then I have to go back through multiple revisions and say, now I'm going to add in the other part. <laughs> now I'm going to emphasize more of the description. Now I'm going to do another revision pass to really drill into internal monologue and uh, emotion. And it, it does take, you're going to have to get a lot of cake pans dirty by the end of this revision process. Your first draft is going to look more like Nailed It than Great British Bake Off, and that's okay. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> so use a continuing our cake metaphor. Um, so first of all, I, I do the same thing that Dan does. I, I, do, um, I do multiple passes. The second thing is right now I am reading, um, uh, and this is not our book of the week, uh, I'm reading Every Tool a Hammer by Adam Savage, which is about making. And the entire time I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, dear Lord, this is about writing a novel. Or, or write, this is about writing. And in the midst of it, he talks about um, making a cake. And that one of the things that in general you want to do when you're making is to set yourself up for success with your pre-work. 
and that, you know, chefs go in and they they lay out all of, you know, here's the bowls that I'm going to need. Here are the ingredients that I'm going to need. They measure things and it feels, uh, you know, it feels like it's so much more work, but but in many ways will go faster. And it, it can it can often feel like, oh, but my creativity, well, um, but what we're, we're talking about here is, you know, with this idea of a layer cake, and especially when you're learning the tools is it's, it's okay to learn like one tool at a time. And when you, when we're talking about pre-work, that doesn't necessarily have to mean oh, you're going to outline everything. Oh, you're going to do all your world building ahead of time. What we're talking about is the number of iterations it takes you to get to a product that you're happy with. And so sometimes you you have fewer, you know, drafts because you've done a lot of pre-work. And sometimes you have multiple drafts because that is the process that you particularly enjoy going through in order to get to that layer cake. You know, you may only have one bowl in your kitchen. And so you have to mix that bowl and then clean it and then mix the next bowl and then clean it. You may have a ton of bowls so you can lay it all out. Everybody's kitchen is different. Everybody's brain is different. Every cake that you bake, every book that you write, every short story, all of these are different. But the the point of it is to remember that there are layers, that there are multiple ingredients that you have to be managing. If there's one thing that has stuck with me after 20 years of schlock mercenary, you know, from beginning to finally ending the whole thing, it's that I cannot afford to conflate spontaneity with creativity. Mm. Those are not the same thing. Spontaneity is fine and it has its place, but creativity is never being throttled by me imposing a structure. It's being funneled, it's being channeled, it's being directed. Um, it's, uh, I, I love having a structure. And, and so the, the layering of things in a novel, um, it's incredibly helpful. The current work in, in progress I had about a 4,000-word scene, which I couldn't make work all at once because the voice had to be consistent, but the voice is kind of tiring. It's that noir detective sort of lots of humorous metaphors, lots of weird extensions, can't be maintained well by the reader. And, and I realized that, oh, wait, this is, I wanted to use this to frame some of the other characters what happens if I carve it into chunks? What happens if I make, you know, separate cake pans and saw the tops off of it and then use, uh, I call it a common tone modulation where, you know, the theme of one scene kind of introduces the theme of the next one, even though something has changed. And as I began assembling that, um, yeah, there's no spontaneity anymore, but the creative fire is, is raging because now I can see how it needs to be built. Hey writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. 
They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, let's pause for our book of the week. And when we come back, uh, what I'd love for us to do is we, we've talked now about the importance. And I'd love for us when we come back to talk about some of the hows of how to do that. So, Dan, I think you have the book of the week this time. Yes. <clears throat> so our book of the week is Legend by Marie Lu. Uh, Marie Lu is an absolutely incredible science fiction writer. Uh, this book is a kind of YA dystopia it's about 10-ish years old from back when YA dystopias were all the rage. Uh, and this one has stood the time better than than most, I think. It's called Legend, like I said. Uh, and I wish I had the time to read you like the entire first page, but I'm just going to read you the first two sentences. My mother thinks I'm dead. Obviously, I'm not dead, but it's safer for her to think so. Wow. And that says, that tells you so much. It is asking you compelling questions. It's introducing elements of the character. Um, it goes on in the next paragraph, if I had time to read that, just lays out incredible detail about the world that this takes place in. There's so much density of information while also being incredibly compelling and uh, readable. It's a wonderful book. Uh, it's called Legend by Marie Lu. So... As Mary Robinette mentioned, I, I do want to talk about some of the mechanics about how you make this work. And I think when I'm in 
writing workshops, the thing that I see most commonly, like the feedback I'm giving like 60, 70% of the time is, I think you're starting the story in the wrong place. And this kind of goes back to what we were saying about the earlier mistakes is often, or the common mistakes is I often see that the story is starting too early. It's starting before interesting things are happening. Now, the problem is if you jump into an interesting things are happening, we don't have context, which leads to the common mistake of the gunfight problem, where then you're like, what's going on? Why do I care about all this? The solution for me is that layer cake, right? So you can start when things are kicking off. You can start in the heart of the inciting, uh, the inciting incident, and then you manipulate the timeline. You don't have to go straight A, B, C, D. You can start at C and then tell us about A, right? You can layer in those tiny flashbacks. They don't have to be big scenes. It can be a sentence. It's like, oh, yeah, when I woke up today, I wasn't expecting this, right? You can layer those things in to give us the context of where this character comes from, what do they care about, and then introduce stakes that may not be immediate to the scene. Like the stakes of the scene is, I need to get out of this gunfight because my sister needs to go to school today, right? I don't know what book I've just written here, but it's something, right? <laughs> I you mean, know, that, that sounds like Jade City, actually. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, actually, right? But if the character cares about something, then suddenly I, the reader, care about this gunfight. And I think when you think about how do I change the timeline, um, I think you can get a lot more of that density in and start layering those elements in, in uh, from sentence to sentence, from clause to clause, and really get all that information into my brain much faster than if you did it sequentially. Yeah. And, and the other piece of that, when you're, you're dealing with that kind of thing, um, one of your, your best tools for stacking that information is the manipulation of POV. So we have talked a lot um, about, you know, all of the things that make, in previous episodes, about all the things that make a point of view. If, if you go back to the very first episode that I appear on, which is um, episode, it was... 314. 314, right, because it's pi. Um, uh, in, in which I talk about puppetry and focus and breath and internal motivation and all of those things. All of those pieces are the things that make up POV. But the other piece of POV that you have to manipulate is the the the, the showing versus telling, the, the describing versus uh, demonstrating. It's basically, are you, you know, you can pull back and go a little omniscient for a moment. You can go deep in. Those moments, those choices that you make, allow you to to layer information in. Um, and within within that, one of my favorite tools is free and direct speech, where uh, you can you can have the narrator basically just say something to the to the reader, even if it's in third person. So um, this this example is from Wikipedia, which actually has a great explanation of what free and direct speech is. So quoted or direct speech would be, he laid down his bundle and thought of his misfortune. Quote, and what pleasure have I found since I came into this world? He asked. Whereas free and direct speech is something more like, he laid down his bundle and thought of his misfortune. And just what pleasure had he found since he came into this world? So that thought just goes straight into the text. And you can do so much with that. To, to layer in information, you know, she picked up the knife. Her grandfather had given it to her. That's just, it's like, ah, I've picked up the knife. Ah, my grandfather gave this to me. Uh, that that slows us down. It's popping in and out. Uh, so these these are the kinds of things that you can be thinking about and and manipulating when you're when you're playing with that opening. 
I'm going to give another very highfalutin literary example here, but uh, if you ever have the chance, go take a look at uh, Virginia Woolf's Mrs. Dalloway. There's a very famous scene of uh, Clarissa walking down a street and there's like somebody's like doing skywriting and she uses that to slide from POV to POV to POV in the scene as you move through the crowd. You really jump, like someone will make eye contact and then suddenly you'll be in that character's head. And it's a masterclass in how you can use POV to build out a complete scene and that balance between showing and telling of telling is a piece of information about the person dropping into their mind to see how they see the world and then sliding back out into someone else's pov um and if you want to think about how powerful shifting that perspective can be in building out a narrative both in terms of using free and direct speech in terms of the subjective experience and seeing things from different angles in that Rashomon style, you know, that even that one scene, if you don't read the whole book, um, I think is an enormously instructive thing to take a look at. So we are now at the point where we are at our final homework. Uh, Dong Wan has this for us, but um, I'm actually going to tag on at the end of it with a, a trick. So this is going to be a tag team homework, and he has no idea that I'm doing this. Uh, this is information that I probably should have layered in earlier. <laughs> well, I'm also calling an audible and I'm going to shift what the homework is. So we're going to see oh. if our two plans line up right here. Okay. Um, then. So I think the thing that I want you to do is actually to delete your entire first scene from your draft. I mean, save it somewhere else, put it under a different name. Don't throw out your draft. But I want you to start from word one for that first scene and rewrite it using all of the tools that we've talked about here. I want you to think about the exercises you've done up until this point, rewriting that scene, uh, using all those different tools, the character's interiority, uh, that sort of narrative description, describing the world building and setting, and then redo it and try and think about how do I layer all those techniques into a single whole? How do I make that cake feel more complete using those tools? Fantastic. And I'm going to tag onto that, that once you've done that, what I want you to do is I want you to, re to revise it and I want you to tighten it. And the way I want you to do that is I want you to go through and highlight which things you really need the reader to know and make sure that they are in the right order. Then I'm going to see if you can fit them into a single paragraph. So what you're going to do is this is a, an editing technique that I call one phrase per concept or one sentence per concept. So each each concept, you're like, okay, they absolutely have to know that uh, there are dragons and that they uh, and the dragons can talk. Uh, they absolutely have to know that this is uh, 1950s, and they absolutely have to know uh, that I'm at uh, a girls' boarding school. Okay, so that gives me four sentences, and then you get one more sentence for tone because tone is incredibly important. That is also a piece of information that the reader has. This is just an editing exercise. And then your final thing is probably going to be somewhere in between those two. But that is a way to start really, really thinking about which layer is important to you as you start your novel. I think these two homeworks dovetail beautifully. And I think by the time you're done with it, you're going to have a killer first page that is going to work great for you. So now you are really and truly out of excuses. Now go write. This episode of Writing Excuses was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr. and mastered by Alex Jackson. Your hosts were Dongwon Song, Mary Robinette Kowal, Dan Wells, and Howard Taylor. The episode was brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash writing excuses. 
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.